give God praise for being a good God and just for blessing us as only he can. And we just thank him for all the grace and the mercy he extends to us. And we also want to welcome everyone via live stream. We're so glad you're joining us this morning for our 815 worship service. And we just thank God for how he does all things well. Amen. Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for being a good God. We thank him for having us. Allowing us to be in the sanctuary this morning. We just so thank him. Impact, we are continuing our series this morning of Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we've been going through the Gospel of John, looking at the ego I me's and figuring out who is Jesus according to the biblical mandate. What does the Bible say about Jesus and what Jesus say uh, about himself, who he is? And we have been going through the book of John. And this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I know you have your Bibles. We want you to turn. Uh, with us to John chapter 11, a great, great text. I love the text. And it is a text that just speaks to uh, our situation, speaks to us, but uh, more so it informs us of who Jesus really is. And so we've been looking at uh, this series, it's been a great series. And so I'm so glad to see so many of you in the sanctuary this morning. Glad we can uh, be back uh, in the context where we can worship together, truly be the ecclesia. Uh, it's what God has called us to do, and we are so thankful that we can do it. I, I just believe it's imperative that we worship collectively together. Uh, we eat, uh, we shop, we have fun, we go to games, events. So I'm like, hey, I'm certain we need to worship together and give God glory and let God know that he is still truly Lord. He's king, he's master, he is our savior. So it's great to see you here this morning. And as you turn to John chapter 11, remind everybody, please don't forget, we ask you each week to text, to tweet, to post something from the service. We want to make certain that you let people know uh, that you were at 541 Shadow Bend Place or Impact Church of the Woodlands. And we want you to text the impact fact, a fact, a Bible verse, something, a quote, something that stimulates, stirs you, something you think is impactful. Send it to somebody. Why? Because we are trying to proclaim and get the word of God out. And so that is how we do it. So we ask that you always do it. And please stay connected to the ministry. We have our uh, podcast. We also have our YouTube channel you can subscribe to. You can stay connected, please. We want you informed on what we are doing here at Impact Church of the Woodlands. I'm going to read a few verses out of John chapter 11. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read uh, a few verses out of uh, John chapter 11. I'm going to begin, begin at John chapter 11 verse 11. And I just want to read a few verses because I believe it's important that we read uh, some of the text and we read and we stand in reverence. Uh, we are saying, God, we are, believe you are worthy and we thank you for your word that you have given us. And I always like to say it like this is the authoritative, the infallible, the inspired, the inerrant word of God. So we're going to begin at verse 11. After he said this, he added, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to awaken him. Then the disciples replied, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had been talking about his death, but they thought he had been talking about real sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called Didymus said to his uh, fellow disciples, let us go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days already. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant to you. I like that. Jesus replied, your brother will come back to life again. Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even if he dies and the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
That's my question for you this morning. Watching live stream here in the sanctuary. Do you believe this? You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you do all things well. Lord, you are awesome, mighty, and majestic in all of your ways. And Lord, we are just so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, that you do all things well. And we are so glad that, Lord God, you have touched us, redeemed us. And Lord, you have given us an opportunity to have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Some of us already have been recipients. Others, Lord, we are praying that they would receive it. And Lord, for whatever you do, we'd be certain to give you the praise, the glory and honor that you deserve. We ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. In Lexington, Mississippi, a man by the name of Walter Williams had become sick. It was in 2014 that his sickness had taken him to such a place where he had to go where someone could care for him and he could enjoy his days in peace. So he was placed in a hospice care facility. He was there and he was being cared for by those individuals who worked at that facility because his health was not at its best. He was very, very sick. So on February 26, 2014, he stopped breathing. So they called for the coroner because they felt like that Mr. Williams had died. And so they called the coroners there to observe him, to examine him and to determine was he really dead? Because we all know that there has to be an official record documentation of a person that they are officially dead. So they called Derek Howard, who was the coroner for Holmes County there, and he came. He came and he evaluated uh, Mr. Williams, and he made the decision that Mr. Williams was truly dead. The coroner completed all of the documentation, all the paperwork, and then he had Mr. Williams placed in a body bag and taken to Porter's and Sons Funeral Home. They take, had taken him to Porter's and Sons Funeral Home because there was a plan to embalm him and to prepare him for his final resting for his burial. But while the body in the body bag was lying on the table, something began to happen. They noticed that the bag began to move. They noticed that the legs began to kick and flail. And to their astonishment, they looked and Mr. Williams in his body bag was moving. Not only was he moving, he was alive. Everyone was astonished by the events that transpired. Everyone was shocked and couldn't believe it. And it was hurled as the greatest miracle that happened in Lexington, Mississippi. That a man who was dead had come back to life. The coroner said, he said, he had never seen anything like that happen in all of his years. The nephew was so ecstatic and happy that he had an opportunity to enjoy more time with his uncle. But two weeks later, Mr. Williams would officially pass and die. And the same coroner who pronounced him dead the first time had to come back and announce him dead a second time. But the second time, it was real. Mr. Williams didn't come back. He was not resurrected. As I look at that story, I think about John chapter 11. Because the same thing somewhat happens to Lazarus. But it's because the Lord calls him back from the dead. The Lord resurrects him and brings him back to life. It was the Lord who does this miraculous event in the life of Lazarus. And it is the Lord who does the same in our lives. John chapter 11 is a continuation of the ego I means. We are at the fifth point in the ego I means. 
who is Jesus? And Jesus tells us, I am. We've already looked at the fact that Jesus says he is the bread of life. He lets us know he is the one who gives us not only physical food, but also spiritual food. Then we saw also that Jesus lets us know he's the light of the world. He's the one who illuminates and reveals and shines his glorious message into the heart of man. He illuminates humanity so that we can live. And then we saw also in John 10 that he says, I'm the door. He said, I'm the one who give you access to the father. He said, if you want to know how to get to the father, he said, you got to come through me. He said, but then I close the door of the sheep gate and secure you and keep you. And last week, we saw him as the good shepherd. He's the one who guide us into the green pastures. Let us get a drink. He's the one when we come back in who anoints us with oil. He heals our wounds and he is the one who cares for us and protects us and secures us with his rod and with his staff. He is the good shepherd who watches over us. But today he tells us something else about who he is to us as believers. He says, I am the resurrection. And I don't want you to miss that this morning. I, I like the fact that Jesus comes and he lets us know that he is the resurrection because the resurrection is something very unique. And he has a great tangible example to demonstrate him being the resurrection. And I want you to see this in John. Can't miss this. Beautiful story, beautiful story. John chapter 11, we see Jesus is here and he's going to get the news that someone whom he cares about is sick. They're sick. And that's none other than Lazarus. So, so, so Lazarus here is sick in John chapter 11 in, in verse 1. And once Jesus found out about it, you know, hearing about him being sick, people would think he would just rush and run there after hearing about Lazarus being sick. But Jesus takes his time. He takes his time. The text is going to let us know where he is. It gives us some context clues to give us some time parameters where he is and how he is just kind of blase about the whole situation. It gives us also some information about these individuals who are the sisters of Lazarus. It's Mary who anointed the Lord uh, with perfume, wiped his feet, dried his hair, dried with her hair. It's her brother who Lazarus who is sick. It goes on in verse three and it says the sister sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. They're saying, Lord, he's sick. We need your help. That is exactly what's going on here. When Jesus heard this, the Bible tells us, verse 4, look at 4, it says, this sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory. Point number one, I want you to see this. Resurrection is according to God's will, time, and for his glory. I want you to see that. Don't miss point number one, because I want you to see some things in here. Resurrection is, it's about God's time it's about God's will, and it's about God receiving the glory. All right? It's easy to look at this and only think about this in the context of death. I mean, physical death, death of your life. But I want you to understand when the Lord here is talking about resurrection, I'm convinced it is not just for the sake of physical life. Do you hear me? Stay with me this morning. I'm convinced that the whole example we're going to see here in John 11 as we go through this text, the death of Lazarus, Jesus Christ raising Lazarus, there are two things that the text is really trying to communicate here. It is showing us the physical death of Lazarus is not only dealing with life, but it's also situations. As you and I live, we encounter situations that make us feel like something can potentially be dead. There is no hope. 
And you and I have to understand that even situations, failures, obstacles, challenges, the various things we go through in life, that the Lord can resurrect those situations. I hope you hear me this morning. But not only that, I'm convinced that he is allowing the physical death of Lazarus to demonstrate a spiritual reality. What is that, Roche? Jesus is demonstrating that if I can raise a man physically from the dead, do you not think that I can also raise and save you spiritually? It doesn't matter your condition. It doesn't matter your failures. It doesn't matter what has happened. He's saying whatever season or situation of life you're in, no matter what your spiritual reality is, I am able to resurrect. I am able to make you stand in where you have fallen. Greek word, Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. And it's the idea of something standing back up and something being brought back in an upright and erect position. And that's what he's going to do here with Lazarus. But he's going to do it on his time according to the will of the Father for the Father's glory. Why is it so important, Roche? It's important because you and I have to understand that there are things that we go through in life and it's the will of God. He's going to determine the time and the season and he's going to determine that he gets the glory from whatever you experience in the context of your life. I hope you hear me this morning. Look, look, look in this text. Let's go through further. Let's go through further. Lazarus is here he doesn't know what's going on. He's sick. He's oblivious to the fact that Jesus is waiting and allowing him to die before he comes and resurrect him. Anybody felt like, Lord, you're letting me die over here. Y'all don't have to say amen to that, y'all. But let me tell there have been, I'm like, Lord, do you see me dying here? Do you see what I'm enduring here? I am sick. I am sick and tired. I am, feel, Lord, do you see what I'm going through? It seems that he is totally indifferent to what Lazarus is going through. He's not indifferent. He understands that sometime death has to occur for God to get the glory. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? I hope you can find some encouragement out of that statement. You have to go through adversity. You're going to have to stumble. You will have to fall. You will have to have failures. You will have to have things that doesn't always work out to your desire. You will have to have it in order for God to truly get the glory. And he's going to do it in his own timing. And according to his will. The disciples don't understand what he means and he says he's just asleep they don't get it but Jesus is wanting to wait because he says my Lord my father has to get the glory out of this and that's one of the greatest challenges with us as believers that we don't understand and comprehend that God has placed us here to bring him glory and honor the shorter catechism that is given by the Westminster Confession to enjoy God all the days of our life and to bring him glory. That's what the catechism is about. Our life is not our own, but we have been placed here that we may live for him and that he may get glory from our lives. And so often what we want to do is we want him to bring glory to our lives and not the reverse. And God is saying, I am here and I am watching and guiding you and shepherding you, but you must bring glory and honor to me. Christianity for so long, we have perverted the gospel. We have twisted the gospel and we have twisted the message to make it humanistic and anthropocentric instead of Christopocentric, whereby we are focusing on Christ instead of the self. God wants us to focus on 
him and we not be the center of attention. We want to serve God as long as he is appeasing us and giving us the things that we desire. As long as he is blessing, he is healing, he is providing. As long as he is doing that, we're like, Lord, we'll serve you. But God says, I want to receive the glory. And so sometimes we have to go through sickness and death in order that God might be glorified. This is not encouraging stuff, especially when you're really going through some difficult seasons and hard times. But this is biblical, that our life is not our own. These disciples don't get it, and Jesus tells them, our friend Lazarus just falling asleep, verse 11. He said, but I'm going there to awaken him. Didymus don't get it either. He said, let's go and die. He, he totally missed what Jesus is saying. He, he didn't grasp it. Jesus is talking about resurrection. It sounds like he's talking about uh, not a resurrection. He's talking about an insurrection. He's like, let's go overthrow the government. Let, it sounds like it's going to be a fight. Let's go. I'm willing to go with you, Jesus. He misses the point. Nevertheless, when Jesus get there, Lazarus had already been in tomb four days, verse 17 tell us. He had been in there Four days. Jesus wanted to allow everyone to make certain that they knew that he was truly dead. It wasn't like Mr. Williams, who had been transported for a few hours and was laying there in a body bag and began to rumble and shake. It wasn't one of those situations where there might have been a misdiagnosis. Jesus I want to make certain that he gets four days so they can know that even a stench is coming. The stench of death is coming, that it is in the nostrils. You can smell death. And sometimes he does that in situations. He let them in when you say it is completely over. There's no hope. Nobody can resurrect this. It can't live but God has a way of stirring and moving and bringing that which is dead back to life. Here it is. Here it is. I like this. Mary and Martha are receiving this consolation from the people and all of this is taking place. And you get down here and Martha is going to confront Jesus. I like it how she confronts him too. I mean, she just come on out and say it. You know, there are certain people just going to say what's on their mind. They don't care who it is. I mean, and she just come to him. She said, you know, you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you had been here, this would not have happened. I kind of sense a little rebuke in it, in her tone. I think she was ticked. Her brother's dead. It's been four days. She's been thinking about it. Going through her mind and she's like, I know that Jesus, if he would have been here, he could have done something about this. I don't understand why he wouldn't just come on over and get this done. It's not that far for him to walk over. He could have made it before he died. And she's been thinking about this in her mind. And when he shows up, she said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Don't think that she was smiling when he walked in the door. You got to read this text for all it's worth. She's annoyed. And there's certain words I can't use, so I'm not going to use it. I don't want to get rebuked again. But I used the initials. She was PO'd. She was mad. He comes in the door and she's rebuking Jesus. She said, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. <laughs> and it's so true. How do you know it's true, Roche? Because she says it. Look in the text. Look in the text. She says, I know, verse 22, whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. Highlight that in your Bible. Highlight that in your text. Why? It's so important because she knew that he was connected with the Father. He was the Father. He is the great I am. And she says, whatever you ask, he will give it to you. She said, if you'd have been here, if you would have asked, 
he would have never died. She understands the power of our Lord, but the thing she doesn't understand is that God has allowed this to happen according to his will and his time that he might receive glory. She missed that. And understandably, because her brother is dead. Look at the text. I want you to see it. Stay with me. And we're going to get to some things I want to show you real quick. Martha says this and Jesus come back and he lets her know. He says, Martha, I don't think you really grasp who is standing before you at the real level that you should. And Jesus tells her, he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me. Even if he dies. He says, death is not a barrier for me. There is nothing that can hinder me doing my resurrecting work in your life. In fact, there might have been many times you read this text and you read it and you're thinking about eschatologically because that's where her mind goes. She's going to say, I know you're going to resurrect him in the future, but he's not talking about only resurrection in the future. He's saying, I can resurrect you right now where you are spiritually, physically, situationally, seasonally, whatever you're going through, I am the resurrection. I can bring it back to life. I can bring it back to life. See, so often as we are going through life, life is a journey. Sanctification is the process of daily dying to sin. But as you're going through life, you will encounter death, dying, sickness that needs resurrection. It needs it. Your business dying on life support is sick. He's resurrecting relationships, friendships, your personal struggles, your thought, unforgiveness, bitterness. How do I come back from it? How do I bring back to life the joy that God once had given me, the love, the peace, the compassion? How do I get it back? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. He says, I can, I can resurrect that. I can resurrect and give you back your hope if your hope is depleted. He says, I am the resurrection. He says, I am here not just for physical life, but also spiritual that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I'm convinced so many people go through life and they never experience the daily resurrecting power that God has placed within us by his Holy Spirit because they look at it only in the future and Jesus is talking about the present active ability of him to resurrect what is going on in your life. Yes. Don't lose hope. Our God is not only concerned about the eternity. He's concerned about time as well. And we miss this. We miss it. He says, I can resurrect it even right now. Resurrection is so important. Why is it so important? Because apart from resurrection, our hope is useless. And that's why he puts so much emphasis on the resurrection. That's why so much of the word of God focuses on the resurrection because of its importance. But to me, one of the key facts is, is that resurrection is the ultimate act of grace and mercy that symbolizes restoration. When he resurrects, this is the act of mercy, act of grace. It's a true, visible, tangible symbol of him saying, you know what? I can restore you. To a place of wholeness. I can restore you to a place of wholeness. We had some trees cut down on the property. They were cut down. And I'll never forget the guys when they came to cut it down. First of all, it's just some, I'd like to see them go up on those ropes and those trees and get up there with that saw and cut them down. It's amazing. 20, 30 feet high look like in there cutting those trees down. And they would bring these large pieces 
of the tree and they would bring them down. Just hoist them down to the ground. But, but the thing that I liked was what they had for those large pieces of the trees. It was called a wood chipper. That's what I call it, a wood chipper. They would take large, bulky branches and they would put them in the wood chipper. If you've never seen a wood chipper, you just want to just go watch one one time. Because I often describe life as a wood chipper. You go in one end hole, but as the large piece of wood go in the wood chipper, the chipper is chopping it, slicing, dicing it in the fine little pieces. And then on the opposite end, it blows it out into chips. You go in whole, but on the other end, you come out in pieces, but you don't just go out as slowly as you walk in. It just blows you out. And sometimes, to me, that's how life feels. Like, man, I've been put in a wood chip. I went in whole, but somewhere along the line, there was some slicing and some dicing, and it just threw me out all over the place in pieces. And I'm like, can anybody resurrect all these pieces? Can anybody put me back to a whole state? Let me tell you something. I know a God who can take you when you've been through the wood chipper of life and he can put you back to a whole place. That's what resurrection is about. Because if you are honest with yourself, you have been through life. And I'm telling you, life is an equal opportunity slicer and dicer. There's no one who goes through life and you don't have to go through the wood chipper at some moment. But God is here to resurrect you. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Jesus tells her, he says, I'm the resurrection, Martha. And the life. He says, I am the one who's able to bring him back. But not only him, anybody else who really believes in me. Two things happen here in verse 26 I want you to see. He comes here in 26 and says, and the one who lives and believes in me, he says, will never die. I, I, I love that. I love this because he's talking now about the spiritual ramifications of belief in him. And he uses the same construction we saw back in John 10 that Ume with the subjunctive that there is not the potential or possibility of death happening. He's used the strongest negation in the Greek language as Wallace mentions. And he says that there is not the potential of somebody ever die. Think about that. He's saying, I give you eternal life. There's not the possibility of death. And then he asks with the interrogative indicative in the second part of it, do you believe this? Listen to me. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, I give you eternal life. You can't lose it. He says, but the question is, do you believe it? The interrogative indicative is asking the question with the expectation that there is going to be an affirming response. And I ask you this morning, do you believe it live stream? Do you believe that if you place your faith and trust in the resurrection, the life, Jesus Christ, the I am, that you would never die? Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that he can resurrect whatever is going on? Do you believe it? Because so often the problem is we don't really believe it. Jesus asked that question. He said, but I'm going to show you that I'm really the resurrection. See, this is Lazarus is still in the tomb. The stench is still there. He's had this dialogue, and let me tell you something, people are listening. How you know? Because they had come there to comfort her. You know how it is. She comes out and confronts him. She didn't worry about the crowd. She was concerned about her brother. They are listening to this dialogue, and Jesus is not just asking Martha, but she's asking those who hear, and he's asking us today, 
do you believe I'm truly the resurrection and the life? Why is it so important? Because that's who Jesus Christ is. Resurrection number two guarantees eternal life. Jesus is going to go in here and he's going to go to the tomb where Lazarus is after he goes through the dialogue. And he is going to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus see them weeping. Jesus asked, where you laid him? They replied, Lord, come see. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. the Bible says Jesus wept. I got to pause, and this was not something in my notes I wanted to say, but I, I, want, I, I want to say this to you because it'll be easy to gloss over this. Jesus is not weeping, I don't think, for Lazarus. Jesus is weeping for those who remain. The same Jesus who wept for them, he is demonstrating the emotive aspects of his being. He's demonstrating his love, his compassion for humanity, his desire for us to really receive and live the abundant life. And as you and I are going through sickness, dying death, adversities, the seasons of life, I'm telling you, our Lord weeps. He gets no joy out of seeing us go through adversity because he loves us. Jesus well. And he weeps because he sees that what we are going through, it is because of the sinful world we live in. Sometimes we made bad choices. And sometimes it's just because of a fallen world. But all of it is according to the will time of God that he may get glory. Man. Here it is. They're mourning and Jesus weep. I mean, he is demonstrating with the tears how he is moved by what happens. He comes to the tomb. Take away the stone. Martha says, look. Verse 39. Lord, by this time, the body has a bad smell. He's been in here four days. Jesus says again, didn't I tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Highlight 40 in your text. Highlight it. How many times does the Lord keep reminding us who he is? He's the one can resurrect our situations, but we keep looking at the fact that he's been sick. He's dead. He's been in there four days. He smells that he can't resurrect it. And the Lord keeps telling us, I am the resurrection. I don't care how long you've been sick. I don't care how long you've been dead. I don't care how much stench you have. I can resurrect whatever dead situation that you have because I am the resurrection and the life. Our eyes, the eye gate, our ears, our touch, we have allowed it to so alter our faith and our belief in God's ability to resurrect and to bring back to life that which is dead that we miss the very words our Lord offer us. He said, didn't I tell you, Martha? Hadn't I explained it to you? Do you hear his words? He's like a resurrected. She says, but he's been sick. He's dead four days. How, Lord? They take away the stone. He said, thank you, Father. You've listened to me. And you always listen to me. But I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around here that they may believe that you sent me. With a loud voice he shout, Lazarus, come forth. And that which was dead had to come back to life. 
with the word. The Lord can restore and resurrect anastasis, your situation. He brings him back to life. Resurrection is so important. And that's why the Bible spends so much emphasis on resurrection. Look at this, because I'm convinced there's two key aspects to resurrection. First, the biblical significance. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. 89 chapters. Four chapters focus on the first 30 years of the life of Jesus. 85 chapters focus on the last three years of Jesus' ministry. 29 of the 85 chapters emphasize the last eight days of Jesus' life and ministry. See that? One third of the Gospels focus on the last eight days of Jesus' life and ministry, focusing on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John 13 through 20, over half of John focus on the last 48 hours of Jesus' life and ministry. You see that? The emphasis is placed on the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Why? Because resurrection is important to us. And if there is no resurrection, our faith in Christ is useless. Look, look, what about to our humanity? Why is resurrection so significant? Look at this. Resurrection, number one, will restore everything to its original conditions. I like this. And then number two, I'm going to put them together here. I want you to see it. Resurrection is a bondage breaker. Eschatologically, in the future, we're going to get glorified bodies once we die. So he's going to restore us. He's going to put our bodies in a glorified state. He's going to take us back to the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve were in their perfection when God created them in the Imago day. But the other thing about resurrection is, is that resurrection is truly a bondage breaker. Resurrection is the one that breaks those yokes those weights. It is the thing that restore us and put us in a place of wholeness so that we can serve God and bring glory and honor to him. It is resurrection that does that. It is resurrection number three that ensures us power to serve and to do the will of God. Acts 1.8 It was until after the resurrection that the disciples could go out and really proclaim with power the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when the lame would walk, the blind would see. They could perform signs and wonders. It was because of the resurrection. And number four, resurrection demonstrate Jesus' authority over life and death. He resurrects Lazarus to demonstrate I truly have authority over life and death. And if he can do it for Lazarus, he can do it for you and he can do it for me. He's resurrecting Lazarus here because he's trying to demonstrate to those around him I am the resurrection and the life. And if I can raise up the physically dead, certainly I can raise up the spiritually dead. I hope you see that this morning. Here it is. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless. He says, you are still in your sins. If, if, if he hadn't been raised, he said, you're still in your sins. You're steeped in them. But it is because resurrection that we're not still steeped in our sins. Fact number two is this. Lazarus' death and resurrection is a symbol of Jesus' power to save the spiritually dead. That's why it is done. And if you're here dead in your trespassing sin, Ephesians 2, 6, he is here to raise you up to newness in life. That's who Jesus is. If you are here and you are saved, you are a believer, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you still feel that I'm 
experienced sickness. I'm death in some areas of my life. I'm not delivered. I'm not set free. He is still here to extend mercy and grace and compassion to you. Let me give you a couple of verses right quick to write down. If you can't read them, I want you to read them at some point. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. You know the story of Jonah. This is some encouragement. Just, just take it and read it later. Jonah had preached to Nineveh and he was mad because God stepped in and delivered and set those people free and gave them another chance. And the Bible says in 4.2, he prayed uh, to the Lord and said, please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents of calamity. See what Jonah said? He says, I didn't want to preach deliverance to those people because I knew you were a God who would resurrect. You were a God who would bring back the life. You were a God who would stand them back up. You were a God who would pardon their sins. You were a God who would forgive all their iniquities. You are a God of compassion, grace, loving kindness. That's the God we're talking about. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is the resurrection and he is the life. And oh, man. Exodus 34, 6 through 7, I like it. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Ooh, anybody glad that he keeps loving kindness for thousands? Who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. This is the resurrection, and the life. Because the world and the Satan, the enemy, will try to beat you down. He came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He says, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. He says, I am the resurrection. That's who Jesus Christ is today. And I want you to receive and to know that Jesus Christ is the ego I me that I am. He's the resurrection who wants to resurrect your life. Both in time as well as in eternity. He's a good God like that. So often what has happened, I'm convinced in the context of our Christianity, is that we have tried to alter and shape God to our dictates. And we want to avoid the very paths that God has placed based on his will, his time, and for his glory. And as you are right now walking through your season, as America is walking through COVID-19, unrest, racial divide and tension. As we are walking through it, we are right in the middle of the will of God. We are right on time on the schedule of God. And God want to see if the church, if the ecclesia is going to give him glory, going to magnify his holy name as we walk through this season, if our message won't change, if we will still proclaim him as the resurrection. I don't care what COVID is going on. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care who's my senator. I don't care who's my mayor. I don't care who's my governor. I don't care what. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. I'm going to proclaim him to be the great I am. He's my resurrection. He's my life. He is the one who sustains me. He gives me grace. He gives me compassion. He gives me kindness. He gives me joy. He fills me with love. He is the resurrection and the life. We, the ecclesia, we don't change according to the dictates of this world. We don't allow it to alter our message. We keep going forth. We stay perched on the wall. We are the watchmen on the wall. We are the proclaimers of his truth. Our message hasn't changed and it never will change. 
We love the unlovable. We forgive those who persecute us and we love them because we have experienced resurrection and new life in Christ Jesus. Oh, Impact, I'm glad today. Are you glad about that? Our God has redeemed us. He's redeemed us because he is the resurrection and the life. Our impact fact for today is this, and I want you to see it. Jesus Christ is the resurrection who offers a new and abundant beginning. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer today, first to the believer, the context of the church, the message is always first to the believer. The church is for the believer, not the unbeliever. The church is here to equip the believer. And so to the believer first, if you're here and you're saved, it's not a question about your salvation. You believed, but you're not experiencing the abundant life. Now, I want you to hear me. Just lean in for a second. Because as a believer, you can be saved and still not completely have all the benefits of resurrection. Whatever it is you're dealing with. Jesus is here to give you new and abundant situations, whatever it is. Second to the unbeliever. Today can be your day where you experience this new life, this new beginning, this abundant life by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for seven. He's here, but you got to step out by faith. For those watching my live stream, the same applies to you. And if you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Click the link below. Follow it. We want to connect with you. You want to unite with Impact Church. Click the link below. We want to stay connected and we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You do that and today you can experience the fact and know that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your compassion, and your kindness. Lord, we thank you for loving us even when we're unlovable and rebellion and when we don't receive your message Lord today move have your way restore renew revive and for whatever you do we'll give you the praise the glory and honor we love you we ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior amen we're about to please stand to your feet if you're here today and you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ your name with Impact Church please just step to the back of the church just step to the back of the church or if you're here, you say, you know what, I just want prayer. Please just step to the back of the church. There are men and women at the back of the church who love, love, love to walk with you, to show you, help you understand how you can come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or just pray with you if you want prayer. Thank you so much. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. He's so worthy. So worthy. Don't forget Bible fellowships again at 930. We would love for you to participate. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, thank you again for this day. Sustain and keep us in God as only you can. And for that, we'd be certain to give you praise. Now to him who's able to keep you from falling, present you spotless before his glorious throne to the only wise God, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a blessed day, Lord, and thank you for your presence.